What's up, fam? It is another episode of The Eight Black Hands. This is episode 167. Today, we're talking about parents in power. We have gone a long ways as four black men. Most of us parents, one-fourth of us uh, happily non-parent, but has helped many of youth reach their goals. Doesn't matter whether you're a parent or not. If you help uh, many youth reach their goals, that is parenting in its own way that's like like when we talk about being fathers there's a lot of ways to father and uh, one of those ways to father is to actually help give birth and to to help the process of growing a child and uh, uh being there for the child and coaching and all that stuff another way to do it is to be a very good uncle or to be a very good cousin or to be a coach football coach that touches or basketball coach or whatever and touches hundreds and hundreds of lives we have to expand the way that we think about the power of fathering because it doesn't mean that you have to do a Sharif and I do and, and, and bipartisan Ray do, which is where, you know, I was about to say we get gray hair from doing the daily work of being a father and being present. But there are many ways that you can do it. Fellas, welcome to episode 167. How are you all doing? Doing well, man. Doing well. Happy Father's Day. Happy Juneteenth. You know, oh, landed right. on the same. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's a lot going on, which is part of fatherhood, right? Like, no, it's not. No, it's not. See, fatherhood is slavery and Juneteenth is freedom. So they're like, it's a juxtaposition. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the, two, the two don't go together. Don't try you should, it. Okay. You should probably let the single dude say that one, Chris. Uh, <laughs> well, listen, uh, my, the six-year-old today, she's like, hey, happy Father's Day. And I got a great idea. And her great idea was for me to take her on a shopping spree. I'm like, wait a minute, this is supposed to be my day. Like, what's up with it. that, you know? But she's like, everybody's gonna wear their color and that's the only thing you can buy in the store. I'm like, oh, hey, great. Man, my, moms get diamonds on Mother's Day, dads get work. Here go yeah, a power yeah, tool, yeah. go fix something, you useless bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, it was shopping, shopping spree to yard work. That's what that's what today was, but it's all good, it's all good. I'm good, man, Ray, how's your Father's Day, brother? Hey, amazing, man. Any day above ground is a blessing. Um, but yeah, I, I, I look at these Father's Day sales, man. They don't be selling like the Mother's Day sales. Mother's Day sales be, you know, they be giving the stores away. And then Father's Day, it'd be like 10% off. <laughs> Listen, man, I like diamonds. I like, I, I, I feel like you like diamonds too, right? They ain't, where the daddy diamond deals at? <laughs> Facts. Facts. I'm happy to be with y'all, man. Happy Father's Day to y'all, man. Really, all three of y'all are amazing fathers. And for the people out there, uh, we had a we would really appreciate if you could all right now just share this. Uh, we need you to share this right now so we can get out to more and more people. Uh, so we want we want as many people to be able to celebrate Father's Day and Juneteenth with us as possible. Well, this is the way I want to frame the show out tonight. I just want to quickly, because it is Father's Day, and we didn't necessarily plan 100% for our day that we were going to talk about parents being on code, uh, we did not plan for that to be on Father's Day, which is today. But it is actually a great segue because oftentimes when we talk about parents, we are talking about a feminized institution and we really aren't thinking in our, our mental picture of fathers. We're thinking uh, parents, moms, moms, parents, parents, moms, moms, parents. That's the, that's the thing that we have uh, uh, thought about, especially in education. Uh, but here we are you know, black men on a show where we have done other shows where we said we are tired of black men being invisible. Uh, today, I saw a whole bunch of things go through my social media feed that were uh, um, 
hats off to fathers, heads up to fathers, praiseworthy on fathers. And then I would bump into that that odd third or fourth or fifth article that would be fathers need to be present in their kids' lives and step up and all that stuff, the stereotypes. I did notice a trend, though. In those negative articles that were interrupting all my positive, praiseworthy Black people celebrating Black people articles, the, the trend was those were mostly Black people working for right-wing organizations who were, who were running that fatherlessness stereotype, uh, cherry-picked research nonsense that doesn't match my real life and my true life in all the networks of people that I know. Some people doing what they're supposed to be doing, some people not doing what they're supposed to be doing, but for to make it a Black thing that we're supposed to be invisible and stereotyped as not doing our business. Here we are right now in our show. We, we are the, the answer to the lie. We are the answer to the lie. Black Bro, one, 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 of, one of the, Chris, one of the biggest manufacturers of that uh, of that myth that black uh, men are, are are absent is uh, Ian Rowe. Let's name this shit tonight. <laughs> Ian Rowe was one of the articles and one of the things that I saw today. And I saw another person just like uh, Ian at a, a place called the Independent Women's Forum. And then, you know, Candace Owens and others are doing their things. And it's interesting to me that one trend that I noticed in all of that was many of these are our first and second generation black people who have moved here from somewhere else. Facts. And they and they they start parroting the language of our oppressors yes. to diminish us. And, and and if you are sick, if you're watching this and you're sick of me bringing this up, uh, first of all, you on the wrong show. <laughs> second of all, second of all, I'm not going to stop bringing it up because we're not invisible. Like when I said earlier that we have coaches and uncles and and uh, 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 friends and cousins and blah, blah, blah. We find many ways to father our children. Right. Mm -hmm. So we are not going to live with the stereotype that as parents, we're just not here. Now, that doesn't mean that we're perfect. And it doesn't mean that we're all doing. I mean, listen, my kids could probably do a, a parent uh, uh, performance evaluation. <laughs> and there might be a few things on there that they might give me some areas of improvement. Right. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think everybody should do that. I could give my parents one. Right. <laughs> right. And uh, there's going to be some areas for growth for them uh, if that's, I had to do a fair and honest one. Right. That's part of fatherhood. Right. That's, right? that's part of being an adult, <laughs> a human being. So, Bro, yeah, 100 percent. Listen, that's I part got of fatherhood. That's part of being an educator. Right. Like yeah. the, you, you, you're the only qualified observer that you really have is your students in your classroom. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. so as a parent. The only qualified observer you really have is your kids, right? And mm -hmm. so if they're telling you, they're giving you, you, listen, go to your kids and ask them how they make you feel, right? Or how you make them feel. Mm -hmm. And then be able to take that feedback and make the changes that you need to make. Yeah. And have a relationship where they'll, be, where they'll be honest with you too. Facts. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Because it's, uh, you know, there's, uh, and I think this is all like, you know, growth, right? Because we have some kids who are actually afraid of their fathers. Right. And there are some who feel loved. And it doesn't mean that they are like, you know, clash against each other. But there's a you know, there, there can be a culture in our homes, in our communities where there's a, you know, I bring the fear of God. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean? Like, it just needs to be, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, part of it. That's one of the things that I just learned during my, you know, came a parent in, in, uh, in 1990. So that's just something that I've learned over the years. But this idea of oh, years old, Reese. <laughs> <laughs> this idea that it was uh that we're wholly absent. It reminds me, you know, my my leadership team, one of the things, you know, every week we have like something we open up with. 
And my thing was like, tell me about your fathers and father figures. Mm-hmm. And everybody was naming multiple folks who supported them, who coached them, who mentored them, who raised them. Right. You know, and so, the, you know, it's the narrative got to be uh, put in bed. I don't know if Ian is the biggest proponent of that. But yeah, he's he the is biggest proponent, bro. I don't know. I mean, he's, in our little bubble, maybe, yeah, but that's that's yeah. a like a, a he's a not in my much. bubble at all. I, I yeah. don't know him, I don't see anything he does, yeah. but yes, I, I actually, know him from doing actually, this work. He actually, bro, you don't know him, but he stole your dissertation. Well, I know, I heard, I saw, I saw, I saw, I'm gonna read his book, I'm gonna read it and see what he actually said. But, um, there is something I'm writing just around to, to separate the whole idea of agency and concept of agency away from this right right wing ideology it doesn't have a left or right ideology it's basically just making sure that students parents communities know what they need and know how to go get it and know how to advocate for themselves that's what agency is it's not tied to, it's not it's not anti uh telling the truth about history or whatnot right but it's what chris said and this is me being our professorial and i'll shut up it's it is there is a different type of talk around black people where this voluntary immigrants versus involuntary immigrants is what you was talking about and there is some more dialogue around that that should be had. I told y'all this. We had forums when I was in college where it was black and white forums. They was nowhere near as heated as the African American and versus like African like form like where we were having those discussions. And there's it's a lot of conversation that needs to happen between those folks. So you know, not to get all. And I just want to be real clear about this. I just wrote about it and uh, studied it for way too is, long. And first of all, so. I'm glad you name Africans as immigrants, but oftentimes it's West Indies yeah. and and yeah. and island black folks coming here and feeling alienated by the black pop- populations growing Absolutely. up, going to get going to get a little shine from college or whatnot, and then adopting the exact same language about the mass group of black folks that the white folks have, right? Yeah. Uh, and when you say there's a conversation that needs to be had. Mm-hmm. I, um, I feel some kind of way. I don't know that there's a conversation that like, needs to be had as mu- much as one group needs to take all the seats and shut up and get 400 years of history lessons about what took pro- what took place before they got here. First of all, only 1% of the world's population immigrates anywhere. One in 2% of the population. So don't come here and actually be here for five minutes. Uh, uh, can we get start, here a full screen, brother? The whole thing? <laughs> start telling us about ourselves. Don't, don't be here for five minutes and start telling us about ourselves, about like what's wrong with the way that we see life and all that stuff. Now, the Ogbu stuff, we will have another show about this because, Charles, you you studied Ogbu. I spent a lot of time stuff. having you to read Ogbu and study Ogbu. Yes. My chair used to used to work under Agbu as a student himself, and he has his own stories around uh, how Agbu viewed him as, as, as uh, sometimes as a lazy <laughs> uh, black, black man. But I think that um, it's, but it's a thing. And what I do say, like I said, I've had conversations about this with folks from, like I said, like you said, the West Indies, basically black people who were not born here, who chose to immigrate here. The conversation has happened. It was they, they were good conversations. There was a there was some common ground. There was some understanding there. Uh, but th- when when you don't have an, it will go down a rabbit hole, Chris. And you got a whole show. Don't. That's but right. we can do that whenever you like. I, 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 I spend just want to spice it up. I read all that stuff. I want to spice it up for our um, for our viewers. We will come back to this show, Charles. <laughs> uh, Charles lived in this research a little bit. It's important. Mm-hmm. I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. 
uh, and we're going to do it. So for tonight, though, we have a different conversation teed up. The first conversation is hair uh, styles. And uh, right now we have a Sharif Elmeki getting styled uh, by uh, by uh, a youth. I don't I couldn't see on screen who, who the youth was, but uh, <laughs> he's got the power to the people pick in his hair. Go, brother. Go. Just don't get a perm. That's my random daughter. Like, I just like, what are you doing? <laughs> we were taking family pictures today, and first she comes up and she smooths my eyebrows out. I'm just like, yo, what are you doing? I mean, but brother, she got she, that. She's trying to help you out. I we see. all been trying to tell you to tame that fro for a minute, and she finally did <laughs> something about it. She walked right up with the pick and just, just out of nowhere. She's you supposed to be up here. have beautiful hair. You just like, here. whatever. She is supposed to be up here yeah. with her sister baking me something. Y'all you know I mean, she down here messing in my hair. Y'all you know I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Take All right, this, fellas. Well, listen, we're 12 minutes in. Go build something. Okay, Actually, we're 13 minutes in. Uh, so record for us to get to the actual show topic. <laughs> uh, um, for my friends and family who are watching tonight, if you go to the 8 Black Hands website, you will find their uh, ebook that we have produced called On Code. And in the On Code book, you will find a chapter that has been written by each of us. The four of us have a separate chapter. One of those chapters, one of the first chapters in there is about parents, the five R's uh, for, for power for parents and for parents to be on code. And that's what we want to talk about tonight. We, we started out uh, from the point of view of black fathers. I'm hearing some echo, folks. I don't know which one who's got echo going on. But, um, uh, but we started out with it being about black fathers, but that's really not what the chapter is about. It's about parents, period. Parents, guardians, people in the lives of children who are responsible for the actual child. Tonight, we're going to talk about the five R's that are in that uh, particular ebook. So, uh, Charles, can you tell folks, uh, first of all, how to get the ebook right now so that we know, you know, absolutely. So, so. so if you just go to 8bh.org uh, and you and you scroll through it, it'll ask you for your email address. Give us your email address so we can stay in contact with you. But don't leave yet. It's going to once you push enter, it's going to give you a link that takes you directly to the book. If you somehow missed it or you weren't able to get it, just reach out to any of the four of us and we can make sure you get a copy. But uh, we, we, we gave it to you for free in exchange for your fellowship. And so we want to be able to be in relationship with you as we start to build out more products and more things that actually serve our parents and our community and our students and everybody that care about black people, because we are not just a podcast. We actually are here uh, to show up for our people and we all put in major work. So there you go. Thank you so much, sir. Uh, you know, to build on that point just a little bit. This is a stripped down version of an ebook. We tried to make it simple. We tried to keep the, the chapters brief. And we're going to jump in right now to a part of the parent chapter, which is the five R's. The first R, when we talk about five R's of um, uh, parent power for parents and guardians, uh, the first one is your role. And your role is the ruthless defender of your child's future. As a parent or guardian, you are the president of their development. There is no higher power above you when it comes to ensuring your children have what they need to become fully actualized. No one gets to talk down to you as if they're the expert on your child. They aren't experts. You are. Even if they don't understand your power and your role, you have to. So let's talk a little bit about what this, uh, what we meant to say here about the role of the parent. Uh, two of you all are educators. One of you has worked directly with parents to find their own power and their agency. What can you say about this particular one of the five R's, the role 
of the parent um, in the in the life of their child. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say this is uh, knowing this and being able to hold, you know, schools and communities accountable for not, you know, you talked about erasure earlier, ensuring that that doesn't happen, asserting themselves as the role. And listen, I, I, I just feel so grateful. I mean, the three schools that I worked in in over a quarter of a century, fathers, black fathers were always a strong presence. And I, you know, one day I really want to kind of like look into that and dive into that a little bit more, like what made that so. Um, but, you know, it, it was I, I it was just a natural part of the, the ecosystem at the school. And I think whatever it was, is they understood their role. They understood their value. They understood that at the end of the day, they this was their children. And they were, you know, if anything, we were partners and, and coming up as community members, many of the folks visitors to the community. And, you know, that's not where the power was. But I'm, you know, I'm just grateful that, you know, to have always experienced a healthy presence, like a balance within the school ecosystem uh, of having black fathers, uh, you know, being being a prevalent and in all types of ways, you know, all types of ways. So, um, you know, whether we were taking kids to the Poconos for a week to hang out there, if we were, uh, you know, whether it was back to school night, report card conferences, block party, just being a presence, dismissals, all of those things, man. And I think I think part of it maybe just people appreciated and mm -hmm. um, weren't disrespectful of their presence. So, but they they knew their role. They knew their role, and I think it's absolutely critical um, part of fatherhood, knowing that this is a role. It's a lifetime role, even when mm -hmm. your kids are grown. Um, you know, my parents still have a role in my life as as my um, you know as my father. So, right, you know, thinking about the parents that you know from from interactions with the schools that you run, when you think about a parent that's really killing it, they're really on top of it uh, as an educator, what are the type of things that you're taking note of in your head that they're doing for their kids versus what other people are doing? When you think they're really killing it, what's the uh, what's your what's your evidence? What are your signs that they are taking their role seriously? Yeah, man, it's funny you should mention that. I, I, I have this parent, uh, his name is Marcus, right? And so... <laughs> The beauty about Marcus is that Marcus is very critical of the school, right? And so I say to him, I'm like, you know, because we're, we're we're friends on the side, right? He's actually a parent that I that that I like, and so I, I say to him, I said, Marcus, man, you're you're so critical of the school. Why do why do you keep your kids here, man? And he's like, the reason why I keep my kids in your school is because I love the school. The reason why I'm so critical of the school is because I love the school, and I know what amazing things can be done if you guys put your ears to the ground and listen to the parents and, and kind of use us as the end users in terms of, you know, facilitating learning with what we want, right. From the community. And I think that once we started focusing on the community, we started, we started outpacing like schools in the district, right. It's like when we started listening to, to folks, we didn't have to advertise anymore. It became, I'm going to put my kids in the Riverhead charter school because I feel seen. Right. And so like right now we have, um, 70% of our students that identify as Latinx, bro, it, it, you know, it, it, it's, they feel safe in our, in, in our mm -hmm. school. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, and so they, they reach out and you know, that, that that's where we are. Do they really 
identify as Latinx. I don't mean to go on a tangent, but I'm just wondering. so so it's, it's funny you should mention that, right? Because like I'm yeah. I'm I'm always I'm I'm always like I'm I'm always intentional about asking that question, right? So like I, I think I don't look at uh Latinos as if they're a monolith, right? And so like whenever I have a conversation with whoever, I always ask them like, hey, how do you want to be identified in, in, in this in this conversation? Do you, do you prefer Latinx? Do you prefer uh, the Hispanic community, the Latino community? I, I always ask. I'm, I'm, I'm intentional about asking. And I think you guys have moved me in a different direction with this whole BIPOC thing. <laughs> I, think I, have, <laughs> I think I've chosen violence like Charles. <laughs> Yeah, just call me uh, black. I, I, because black. Well, we, we just we lose when we get grouped in again. Like right. I said, we can be in there and be in coalition and be in community with everybody, but yeah. you got to disaggregate your activism. You got to know what you're doing and why and who you're doing it for. Um, but but thank you for even in that intro. Just it, but what you that first one is so important. Be the ruthless, ruthless leader of your child's education. Here's the thing. If you go to a school where you don't have to do that and your school handles stuff and you got or you got a community, consider yourself extremely blessed. But if you happen to be poor, if you happen to be black, brown, whatever in this public system specifically, but in any type of private, whatever, um, you have to be relentless and ruthless to make sure that your, your child is getting what you need. Uh, when I was at OUSD, my job was in community engagement, parent engagement. And it, it's not a necessarily easy job. And for people that's out there, um, Karen Mapp wrote it with a bunch of people wrote this beyond the bake sale. If you work in that field, it's a great, great book that could help you with some framework around better, yeah. better ways to engage parents and also be on the lookout for Ray's dissertation when it's done, because his is also about parent engagement. But that don't let that ruthless scare you away. Use that as the empowering point, because you are the only person that's at, ultimately responsible for your kids education at the end of the day. It's a lot of black people that's going. It's a lot of people that's going to say how much they love your kid. that's going to posture that they love your kid and they very well damn may. But you have to be the quarterback of that team. And, and, and it, it don't matter if you got a second grade education or two PhDs. You have to be relentless in today's education system with the numbers that we currently see. To some extent, it is a race. It is a fight. It is a battle. It's not meant to be easy. The role that you take on when you become a parent is is real. It's not for for wimps. It's like a real role. Uh, what we say in the the ebook about it is the parent role is broad and it has biological, psychosocial, social, and financial dimensions. In education, your role includes establishing a safe, clean environment for your child to grow intellectually and socially. To the greatest extent within your means, you help them explore their curiosity and have positive interactions with people, their community, and nature. And more than anything else, the parent role is to plan, manage, and direct every aspect of their child's development, leaving nothing up to others. This is not to be naive and believe that everybody is capable of doing the same things. This is just saying within your ability to do anything, whatever you can do, these are some aims for you. If you have zero money, you can still create safe and clean environments and get your child access to other people, to elders, in your community and nature and whatnot. If you have more resources, you can do even more, which is one of the, the 
the savage things, savage realities about life in the United States. But everybody can do something along these lines. Let's jump to the next one: responsibilities. Wait, so, so before you, before you jump to, to responsibilities, okay, let's come on, come on, tangent break. Let's make it happen, it's bro. It's not a tangent. It's okay, not. all right, I'm good, just, good. I wanna, I wanna piggyback off of something Charles said, right? Charles uh, made mention of people having two PhDs or having a second grade education. Two different mindsets, but two different equal fighters, right? So, like, if I had to put them both in a corner and have them come out swinging, both of them can swing and, and, and knock somebody out. And so what I mean by that is, you know, when you have somebody that has a second-grade education, they know that they want better for their kid, right? And so if they come to you, they're coming to you from the sense of, like, hey, listen, I know my experience in school and I don't want my child to have that experience in school. And because I don't want my child to have that experience in school, I'm going to put my foot in your ass in order to make sure that my kid is getting what they need. Then you know you you have you have the PhD person that that you know that that has had uh you know a, a mainly a, a, a relatively uh good education from for the most part right because there's sometimes you can have an outlier that didn't have a good experience in school but ended up making it because just because right and so you know they can coach you in terms of like how to be a but so I think I think it's just about being open as a school leader right so like as a school leader if you're you know frowning upon folks because you're like hey that person doesn't that person is not on my level or you know whatever but then you'll take uh you'll take feedback from a person that has a phd then you some trash you need to see all parents equally and and that's how you need to approach it my bad for the tangent it's not a tangent but i you know i, I will say this too the thing that we just talked about the role of the parent in in my way of seeing the world is class neutral it is there is something that everybody can do to be creating a safe, clean environment for their child to learn and whatnot. I get very offended when this becomes the Rorschach. The, the first thing that people think when they hear things like that is the hierarchy of parenting. They believe that all middle class people somehow got it figured out and everybody who's poor doesn't. And I'm here to tell you, you can spend a Saturday in many libraries and find many poor people in libraries on weekends and throughout the week. And you can find many middle class people who think that they're doing something and they're really not. They are like crapping the bed when it comes to their child's education, but we are giving them all kinds of just unearned grace, thinking that they're perfect parents. Listen, your suburbs have uh, bulimia and depression and suicide and broken marriages and infidelity and parents who don't care about kids just like everybody else does. And heavy drug use. And, heavy drug and use and everything else. So this idea that like the suburbs and the middle class, you know, is the goal and the high watermark on something like what we're talking about right now. There are many people within the middle class who drop their kids off at school, think things are great and their kids aren't making a year's progress, even when they are achieving the basic proficiency they are still not making the growth they could be making so let's not give let's not just give poor people the tag of never getting it right in the, well, the Chris, can, I add, can i ask something there too 30 seconds go ahead uh, go ahead because it go agrees ahead. with you but even from a different perspective everybody here knows dr brian stanley friend of the show huge yeah. mentor of mine uh he's a really big guy uh, but he's a teddy bear he's one of the sweetest people you've ever met do, do anything for you but his sons his son is also growing and being a very big guy. He was the he, he led the Oakland Education Fund and his wife is a teacher. Yet and still, they have to struggle and fight every single day to make sure their kid is getting everything that they need. Right. I deal with this on the healthcare side too, where I have, you know, colleagues who are doctors who are actual physicians 
and still struggle to get the right type of care for their kids or whatnot. So just because you even have the status, the degrees, the the the, the titles or whatever the case is, um, this system still be seeing black kids a certain type of way, especially uh, those black boys that, that tend to be a little larger than other ones. So it's going to be a struggle. And I just don't. And, and whether you have all those things or you don't or whatnot, it's everybody got their own cross to bear. But we all just got to be ready and you got to have a community that's going to be there to help you. I just want to add that in, Chris, uh, because I didn't you know, I know somebody was probably like, damn, I got all that stuff and I'm still struggling to get, you know, my kid respected or, or, or whatnot. I mean, Chris, you are uh, you are a school board member and you got your own stories about what they said to you uh, about your child. I think docile was a word that set you off last year around this time. Lethargic. 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 Oh, you Lethargic. remember. He remembers the word. So. <laughs> I don't uh, remember much else from that entire year, but I remember a teacher in the hallway calling my child lethargic in the morning. Mm -hmm. And uh, um, this, I, I want to keep pushing on this though, because I see Michelle Johnson. I see you, Michelle. And I know I was supposed to talk to y'all tonight. I didn't. I, I apologize. But Michelle is saying, but the middle class have the resources to pivot. See, this is what we do as class-based uh, thinkers. No, not all middle-class people are experiencing the world the same way. Right. There are some jacked up middle class households and there are some lower class households that are making use of their resources better. Right. So these type of things, these maxims that we're talking about should be for everybody, whether right. wherever you sit. We're not going to we're not going to have an assumption that some of you just because of where you sit within classes are doing this the right way. Like and when, when you look. Go ahead. Yeah, and when you no, I was just going to say when you look at the, the data as far as like black middle class, you know, New York times did a, a thing a couple of years ago. All that money we lose when we get it and we lose it. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. so like it is no kind of safe harbor. Black middle class, they have resources to pivot. Like, no, actually, oftentimes the children, um, because it's such a precarious situation and it's still tons of anti-blackness and systems and institutions, it ain't just like got there. And now this is some type of imaginary uh promise well it is imaginary because it's not a mm -hmm. promised land mm -hmm. it is not mm -hmm. promised to you it's not promised to your children or your progeny uh so you know this idea of you know resources to pivot is you know i you know i i would i would challenge that you know yeah some um, of our people are are fragilely middle class yeah are marginally matter of fact i shouldn't say some a lot of our people are fragilely mm -hmm. middle class check meaning, to check middle class hey, bro, hey, hey, one, 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 one paycheck you know. don't hit the way it's supposed to this this house of card crumbles baby so <laughs> <laughs> fucking falls down jazz hands my whole livelihood yeah, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. Get to your next art, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so now uh, we're gonna move to now, the next. I'm, I'm talking about mine. Hey Ray, I'm talking about mine. I'm just hey, telling you, brother. I, 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 what, I'm telling you about mine. I'm struggling out here, some, We have some fragilely middle class uh people who um who appear to have the resources and don't have everything figured out. Don't I'm have three weeks away from a ski mask, B. So. <laughs> okay, so moving on. Uh, so the second R of the five R's is responsibilities. By law and by custom, you are responsible for the care of your child. You're responsible for providing the basic necessities they need to thrive, including providing information-rich learning environments uh, at home and seizing all learning opportunities avail available to them in their local community. You are responsible for initiating and fostering productive relationships with educators you entrust with your children. You are responsible for visiting your child's school 
when possible mm -hmm. to ensure that they are being supported and encouraged to reach their full potential. You are responsible for monitoring reports from the school uh, for progress and lack of progress. Um, these are basic responsibilities, but written right into your law, I'm sure in most of your states, is a thing called educational neglect. So when I say that you are responsible by law for your child, you could be brought up at some kids. I don't think many people think of it this way, but there's a, there's a point at which if you're not doing your, tending to your responsibilities, you could come and get in the crosshairs of your state law for not doing all the things that you're responsible for doing. So it's not just a, oh, you should be responsible type of thing. It is le legally your obligation to be responsible. Now, this is the one no one loves responsibility. So how are y'all thinking about this one? How does it ring in your ears when we talk about this too? Uh, and and please point out any red flags you hear, classism oh. or whatever. Tell tell me what you think when you hear this. Oh, full, full screen me. I'm about to get some heat for this. Okay, yep. you about to get you going full screen, bro. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So here, here's here's what I'm gonna say, right? So we put all the, all these responsibilities on on parents, right? Parents need to get their kids to school. I know in some jurisdictions, if you miss a certain amount of days, then your kid is is is, a, is spoken about in a, in a way that we're talking about retention of of, of the child. Um, I think that magic number was 20 in, in some grade. So if your kid missed 20 days out of the 181 days, regardless of how they performed on or, or from from nine week to not from marking period to marking period, they still would be retained because they didn't because they missed 20 days. Right. And so my question is, what happens when you have a teacher that misses misses 20 days or more? Right. What have, what happens when you have a, a teacher that's frequently uh, out of school, right, and how that impacts the learning of that scholar. I think we don't ever really talk about that, right? But like, what gives me cringe is when a child can go home and have conversations with their parent about what their day was like, and then they say, "Oh, I had a substitute teacher," and they can say that in multiple instances, right, about having substitute teachers over and over again, right. For me, that's the kind of neglect that I want to focus on. I don't want a parent shame. I don't want a parent blame because we know as, as as black folks that it's really hard to get it out here. Right. So if you got parents that are out working four or five jobs to kind of stay afloat, you know, to 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 go back to that frag fragility of the middle class or the fragility of the working poor. Right. Let's put the onus on other folks that are middle class that are supposed to be handling their responsibilities by doing right by these kids. Let's yeah. say you the rest of the brothers here, because I know the way that I respond to that, but the rest of y'all, come on, yeah, somebody I mean, else say something. Let me hear. Let me hear. The, yeah. The I mean, for me, responsible, <laughs> responsibility is not a, uh, it's not a bad word. I mean, it is something right. we should embrace. It is something that is, uh, you know, part of, you know, something that we want to not only teach our children model for our children, you know, and so being responsible, we talk about being responsible for uh, our communities, being responsible for our, our children. Uh, a big part of that, I think, is that old adage of trust and verify, right? If I'm responsible for my child's outcomes, ultimately, right, like their trajectory, all those things, ultimately, I'm, I'm responsible for, as you said, law and customs. That means I can't just punt that to someone and say, oh, I trust, I trust this system or, or that. That's like, Oh, I, I trust the, if my kid makes a mistake, I trust the court to teach them right from wrong. Like, would I? Like, nah, I wouldn't at all. Oh, I trust the the police officer to 
do like no i wouldn't and so the same thing with any other institution including schools i want to check on them i want to make sure that they are aware that i am am here and yes you may have this kind of technical expertise and i'm responsible for this human being right and so there's a you know there's a uh point of navigation but the piece Mm -hmm. that i would not relinquish one bit is my responsibility Right. And yeah, that's, I mean, you know, I, ultimately that's, uh, you know, we, we can't, there's no, there's no getting around that. Right. Like there's no soft way. And then I think responsibility is like, it's nothing negative about it. It's just like, I am responsible for it. You know, um, you know, so. I, I have, I tend to agree with that, man. I think I do trainings with all these different groups. I do trainings with students. I do trainings with parents and I do trainings with educators and admin. And when I'm talking to each of those groups, I'm talking to them about their responsibility. So if I'm talking to educators, I'm saying, yo, if the parent, the student don't know, the admin, if don't nobody else do what they need to do, here's what your job is. Parents, if I, hey, parents, regardless of what teachers is doing, your kids is doing, your admin is doing, here's your job. Everybody has a role. You know what I mean? I think uh, to, to Ray's point, I think, I think Mr. Brown talked about this when we asked him what was one of the most important lessons he had from 46 years of teaching. And I think he said, Availability. I think he said, I, I showed up. I showed up when my kids needed me. And he yeah. went through two of the biggest strikes, longest strikes in the history of the country. But he was still showing up. I, I just say that to say everybody has responsibility. And I don't know if it's shaming or whatnot to say, listen, there might be situations that are not ideal for anybody, that teacher, that admin, that parent, that student or whatnot. But if I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you about what your job and your role is and how to advocate. Here's a simple tip, though, if you ain't got no money, if you ain't, or even if you do have money, you don't have to do this thing on your own. One thing I've told parents is you, this is how you build a network. Sit down tonight, take five minutes, list out all the kids, list out all the adults that your parent, that your kids uh, respect. They basketball coach. Maybe it's their youth pastor. Maybe it's their auntie. Maybe it's their older brother. Maybe it's they like Mr. Chris or they've been to Mr. Sharif's house or Ray's, right? Put all of them on one text chain. When let's say Charles had a bad day that day and it's like, hey, and put like that that principal that you like at school or that admin person. Hey, y'all, just a heads up. Charles had a rough day this morning. I just want you all to be aware. Boom, boom, boom. Right now you've activated a network around your kid. Everything don't take money. Everything don't take all this vast knowledge and things of that nature, right? Like you got to use what you have. So if the four of us are a group of parents and our kids go to the same school and it's like, hey, Chris, Reef, Ray, I know y'all busy. I can go to this meeting. I can go to this parent meeting. Is it something you want me to ask on behalf of your kid? Because when I'm there and you're not there, then I got to play that role for you. We have to come back into a communal style of village raising our young people, especially because Ray might have information and navigational skills that I don't have. And I might have something that Sharif don't have. So reach out to your network. If you can reach out to your network and talk about Gray's anatomy, if you can reach out to your network and talk about the Warriors winning the championship, which I do a lot, right? If we can talk about these other things, then we for damn sure can talk about what our kids need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but Charles, it takes a level of humility in order to be able to see your blind spots even when you're parenting, right? And but so we're talking about your kids, though. I mean, well, I hear you, right? You ain't wrong. I, I, understand, I understand, but like, you know, it, it, listen, I would love mm-hmm. for folks that don't know how to navigate certain systems to reach out to us because we put it out there before. Like, hey, listen, if you're going into an IEP meeting, hit one of us up if you don't know what questions to ask or whatever, even if you need us to be on screen with you to be your advocate for your kid. And how many people reached out to us? Not very many, right? And that comes from that level of arrogance that people have. Like, though, these are my kids. I'm going to do whatever with my kids. 
in my opinion, Reef, jump in here, sir. Well, I want to push us on to the next R, but this is what I'll say. Sharif, go ahead. You know, uh, jump in because I see you make a face. So uh, no, I, was, I was just saying, I don't know if it, people didn't reach out out of arrogance. You know what I mean? Like, I think there are a whole lot of reasons why people. Some some may not people who may have needed the resource may not even have heard the uh, the offer, right? Like, so I think I think that things are more complicated to. Than to um you know to make it uh as simplistic as that you know what I mean I, I will say you just said you wouldn't blame you just said you wouldn't blame uh pair just yeah you turned the page and started playing with them I, I will I will <laughs> say you needed some you needed some I wanted to give you some because I know you needed it and as you, as you go as you move forward Chris some I did have a few parents reach out I mean it was private it was you know what I'm saying I'm gonna respect that privacy and what the conversation was, but I did have multiple parents reach out, not about IEPs, but just other stuff in general. I think if pe I think people generally want to help their kids. I mean, but listen, man, we get, all we're doing is providing a tool. Like, but just because you're not doing it, don't mean that you're not responsible for doing it. Yeah. Right. I'll say this much. Um, some people have reached out to us for different reasons. I do think it's not always easy to ask for help when you're having some of these situations that you're in as a parent feel embarrassing. And people feel some kind of way sometimes about asking for help because they feel like it's a personal indictment on them. So I can understand, um, especially when it's complex issues. Like, listen, we talk about this all the time. And I had an issue last year and I had to send something off uh, to Sharif. Like, listen, man, this is what the school is saying to me. And this mm -hmm. doesn't make any damn sense to me. Um, and I feel like I'm missing something and whatnot. And I had to just tap into somebody. So what Charles said is true. Know who your network is, have your mm -hmm. people, have it listed out ahead of time. When I said in the first thing, your role is to plan, manage, and direct the education of your children. Part of the planning is what Charles just said, knowing who your people are, knowing who knows what in your network, put some stuff to paper. This is the other thing too. Like keep notes, keep a note, buy yourself one notebook to put all your notes in uh, uh, around things like this when you hear these tips or whatnot. Moving on to the next R, before I do, well, I'll say we are leaving the second R, which is responsibilities. Uh, and the, the one thing that I can say is my final word on the responsible thing is, as a parent, you become eminently more effective and powerful when you say three words, I am responsible. When you say those three words, it makes it hard uh, to, to live in other people's context of their power right? When you take it back and say, no, no, I'm responsible for this. You show up differently. You think differently. You talk to the experts differently um, when you think you're responsible and they're only helping you with your responsibilities. The next one that we're going to talk about is rights. So um, uh, mm -hmm. the next of the five R's, the third one is your rights. You hold the majority of rights associated with your child. You have the right to make the critical decisions regarding your child. You have the right to access a free education for your child. And by the way, that particular right is part of the uh, International Declaration of Human Rights. It's a human right for you to have a free education for your child. Um, you have a right to be protected against discrimination, and you have a right to obtain information about your child's academic records and to demand correction uh, if those records are inaccurate, if they hold inaccurate information. This one is pretty straightforward. We could talk about this, but I think there are many other rights. This is, this is a short number of rights. The most important one to me is that you have the right to make the critical decisions in your child's lives. And to the extent that any policy anywhere creates a barrier for you to be the decider 
the one who decides the who, how, what, where of education for your child. That's a policy that needs to be broken down if there's any policy that's standing in the way between you doing that. What say you fellas about rights? Yeah, I mean, 100%. You know, that, that, uh, you being a self-determinant in your child's uh, life is an absolute right. And just like our children have rights over us, we have rights over, you know, um, over the, the quality of their life and what that means. And so, you know, 17, 20% of their time is within schools. And so we have to make sure that we understand what our rights are in those spaces, just like in any other space that they may find themselves in or that we elect to have them in. Uh, so I, I, th I agree with you. I think that's the most important thing. I think this is straightforward. Um, and I think it's one of the things that probably gets compromised, you know, um, the most uh, throughout mm -hmm. all of this, because this mm -hmm. this might actually be the, you know, the first R in a lot of different ways. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the critical ways that this one will be abridged, this particular right will be abridged mm. is when you get redlined into a limited set of educational opportunities that everybody else has abandoned already. And people tell you that you somehow deserve to be in that position. You deserve just to stay in this little kind of pond of opportunities that everybody else has run from, right? Uh, Charles, I don't know if this is like going to be, you know, a bad analogy, but like, you know, the foothills, the foothills and the, in the, the, up the hill people, mm -hmm. right? Like the, 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 what do you call the, flat, the, the hills and the flats in Oakland. The yeah. hills and the flats, you know, people. So, so you deserve, if you're in the flats, you deserve what you get, even though everybody else can try to run up the hill and get themselves to higher ground, to, to better not, ground. So. And not only do you deserve to be in that position, you're responsible for saving the system because they'll, then they'll give you the lecture <laughs> That's of, true. if right. you leave, then, yeah. you know, like, what's the matter? What will happen to the system? And, and like, no, that shouldn't happen. Like, where are you? Man, Where's your kid? Man, F that system. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I 1000% agree. I don't love systems. I love people and our people and all of them. So, hey, you got to be ready to fight wherever you are. Uh, yeah, man, I, I think knowing your rights is, is, is germane to being agentic and having agency, man, because you because also you need to know when your rights are being trifled with and trampled on like and a lot of and a lot of you have that and we just so happen to be doing an education show but we could say these exact same things about healthcare. we could say these exact same things about uh social security we can say the exact same things about community services that are supposed to be given or whatever the case is or what or your employee rights right like you have rights but it's just like a 20 dollar in your 20 dollars in your pocket and you don't know what's there your ass is gonna starve if you don't know you got it so you gotta learn how to reach in that pocket and pull out them resources um so I, you know i i feel like you'd probably need to bat your r's bro because we ain't gonna I'm, I'm gonna stop there so we can get to the rest of them you got what two more left two more to go so you know, hey and in, in this 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 Biden atmosphere, what you where you eating at for twenty dollars? Oh, stop it! Just you, stop you, it! Just stop you, it! Just we we stop not gonna talk it. about twenty dollars giving you a sip of gas? Go ahead, bro. I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, all right. Hey, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before you get to the next, R, I mean, hey, when I think about rights, man, I hear the right to remain silent, right? But like, honestly, when you think about the rights of your kids, you got the right to make as much noise as you need to make in order for them to get the education that they deserve, right? And so mm -hmm. going around and acting silent, acting like you under arrest, hell no. Like, you're going to break your kid out of jail making so much noise. What do you know about the right to remain silent? Bro, listen, 
Just because I'm corporate facing now, bro, that don't mean that I've always been that way, man. I've been in these streets. I know what it looks like. I feel like most black young men know about the right to remain silent. <laughs> right, right, right. But Ray doesn't use it. <laughs> hey, that's a fact. Ray don't use it. All right, listen. You don't next, use it either. I don't. I do not. Uh, I have a right to say what I damn well please. Um, so the the fourth R of the five R's is rituals. You you as a parent create the cultural context for what your child learns. Teach Black history and culture. You can do this through family genealogy, including the use of photo books and hi historic documents, oral interviews of community elders, and discussions of family values, social expectations, duties, and self-discipline. Create home library books, artifacts, games. You can establish rites of passage. These will help you foster uh, responsibility to the ancestors, family, and community, and institute habits of community service. They will help you to establish self-determination and the ability uh, of decision-making, goal-setting, and time management with your children. This is an important one because this is one that wouldn't normally make a list and we wouldn't talk about much, but you know, much of, of life is ritualistic. You set attitudes, you set habits. Charles, I noticed that you're reading um, Atomic Habits, right? There, mm -hmm. there are things that you set in terms of behaviors and you put them on a timeline and you put them on, mm -hmm. a, on a system of regularity and they start creating uh, a personal culture for, for, for a person, for, you know, like, like, so this one is one that doesn't only really make the list, but it's important. What do you all think about uh, this odd duck of ours on this five? I don't think not at all, man. I, I actually think that that one can go way, way deeper. And I think that traditions like, you know, you need rituals, you need traditions tradi for people where many of us, our history was stripped from us, but we can't go back more than three generations. Like you need rituals, you need rites of passage because that stuff is directly tied to your humanity and feeling like home. I say this to somebody, y'all know I lived, I was homeless and stuff like that. I talk about it a lot. And so the sense of home is actually something very, very deep for me. So I have to create rituals in this house. I have to create like rituals in my education, academic learning that go against whatever was happening in my family beforehand. I have to break generational curses, curses. And that means that I need new rituals. So I think what you said, Chris, like, I think you just started scratching the surface and you probably didn't even mean to go that way. But to me, that's actually the deepest one. My brother, like, one day, like he has started a new ritual every every year for Christmas. They go to Lake Tahoe up in the snow and all that. And one day his his two sons got a little antsy and they started eating Christmas dinner without him. And he he stopped the whole dinner. And he said, hey, man, check this out. I'm your father, man. I built and put all this here. I love your mama. I love my, my mama being here. I love all our family being here. But but you don't eat without your dad on, on, on Christmas. And what he was doing was he was building a new ritual, a new tradition that is now grounding those kids. And they're going to do that with they with they kids. And and my brother, he's my best friend. He didn't grow up with a dad. You know what I'm saying? So his job is to now build and instill these things in his kid and break those curses. So I actually think that ritual one can be expanded, man. I didn't mean to go that deep, but it's the one that touches me the most out of all of them. I love the idea of breaking curses. Yeah, yeah. You I mean, this said is, that. I love that. Yeah. And I think that all these R's are important, but rituals, are that, I mean, this is my favorite one. I think this is where, mm -hmm. you know, I think this is where you hold the sacred and the solemn. I think this is where you uh, have your culture and your values. I think this is where you mm -hmm. pass things down, but also reinforce it within yourself, you know? And so whether it's 
faith-based traditions, whether it's uh, things like an Nguza Saba, that's a kind of guiding star uh, for so many folks and not just during Kwanzaa, but like everyday life, right? Like, and so how do we, so, you know, this is, your family is a microcosm of the community at large and the things that you pour into it, uh, these traditions and rituals um, absolutely, you know, critical. Um, and they're, they're passed along. You know, we buried, uh, we buried my stepfather uh, on, on Friday. And one of the things that we talked about a lot about were the rituals that he helped establish within our families and how we are continuing some of them through different variations, but still anchored in a lot of what he, he taught and what he had learned from uh, his previous generation. So um, I, this is my, this is my favorite one. Uh, I think it's absolutely a important part of the learning systems that we have. And, you know, I think this is why our rights and the responsibilities, all those other things is we have to see what, where do we put our kids that wholly is at war with the rituals that we actually choose for our kids? Mm-hmm. What are neutral? What are spaces that are neutral to those rituals? What are spaces that are positive and reinforcing? And what spaces are absolutely hostile to the rituals that we're trying to create for our, for mm-hmm. our children? Mm-hmm. And I think that is why rituals are so important. So many of the rituals we may have, it's open war against them, verbally, policy-wise, and 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 in other spaces and so you know um i, I just think it's this absolutely critical part of raising um a, a child absolutely yeah i'm jumping in on that um i, I think r- the ritual are uh had the most nuance to it right mm-hmm. because if you establish good rituals then those are things that could be handed down over time right and so to piggyback off of charles's point in terms of uh you know, having rituals break generational curses. If I set my kids up to not have any college debt, right? And that becomes a ritual. And so now they follow that ritual by affording their kids with not having any college debt, right? Or just speaking life into their kids in terms of like, all right, well, if college is not for you, what is your plan, right? So like, what is your plan Mm -hmm. to sustain your family, right? So if it's going to trade school, if it's doing things that are outside of the box that are not conventional as like going to college. Right. Because, you know, it's, it's not for everybody. Like there's some people that are going to be better than folks that go to four year institutions. They're going to have better lives. Right. So like you can find somebody that goes into welding that could be more successful than someone that goes to get just depends on the circumstances and it depends on the rituals that you put in place in order to show your kids how to sustain money, how to, how to uh, attack it through financial literacy and just making them inept in terms of like what they need to do in order for them to be successful. So I like this R. So the last thing I'll say about the ritual one, I do think it's one that we can go deeper on, on a chapter on in the future. One thing I'll say about it is it is the first learning system. If the home is the first school and the, the parent is the first teacher, the the rituals are the, the operating system that you put into it that creates learning. Uh, notice in this, we talked about family genealogy, excuse me, of be, as being one of the things that could be used uh, to create a, a learning tool here. Every religion and every philosophy seems to come back to know thyself. So yeah. one way of knowing thyself is literally knowing thyself. Hey, Chris, real quick, real quick, I want to highlight this, yeah. right? Uh, uh, it, it definitely is a beautiful floor energy. And you know why? 
is because you're letting people talk. You know who doesn't let people talk? <laughs> you know why some people should not be allowed to talk? Because of that. What's the guy from Senegal? That's... But, you know, and the thing about the genealogy, Chris, is something, you know, maybe a year ago, we all talked about we needed to dive deeper into our own personal genealogies. And that's mm -hmm. something that we mm -hmm. all individually committed to to doing. And, and um, I know... Ray started at, he was down Louisiana digging a little deeper. I had my father and aunt over a couple of weeks ago, diving, you know, a little bit deeper into, you know, into that space. And so that's important. Um, and what one piece I forgot to mention about the rituals that I love, it's like teaching my children or like who our heroes are. Mm -hmm. That's one of my favorite rituals, right? Like, and like who's a hero and how to treat our elders. I'm like, hey, that's mama so-and-so. She is a giant to me and she's a giant to you and she's a giant to your child, you know, um, later down the road. Right. Like and so I think both of those pieces, uh, you know, fit into know thyself, know thyself. And, you know, who's who you're aspiring to be, who's the heroes that we uh, try to emulate um, and learn from. So and I mean, and I I cannot overstress how important it is for a people where, again, so much of our history has been erased where you don't have it. I mean, Chris and I, we were remember we were in that airport. I forget where we were. And I was and I, I found that family member who was actually like a historian of my family. And like he had like original text of like, oh, these codes fought in the Civil War. These codes became free and did this, that. And oh, these people helped settle that Indiana, like Illinois land and like. When you hear those things about yourself, it just it makes you want to be better. And when you see that you tied to a legacy, my legacy is not just my parents being on drugs. Like I actually when I hear those stories about my, my paternal grandmother and my maternal grandmother being friends and 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 what it meant when two people started dating, and how families came together, even when they were dating. Like it's like, oh, shit, I didn't know none of that. Like. All these things that I could have been holding sacred that could have been a foundation for me. I didn't get that until I was an adult. So all these adults that are listening that have children, even if you can't go back five generations or whatnot, you can create enriching rituals and traditions right now that will your kid will always know what home is, regardless of where they are. A lot of us don't know what home is. And I, I, that's why I think it's just so, so important. I mean, Sharif has said this before, just around, you know, when an ancestor passes away, a library is burned down or a library, you lose a library. Mm -hmm. uh, stuff. You can be taking your kids to the oldest relatives that you have just to hear Man. stories, just to yeah. hear stories and take note of it. That's living. Uh, that That's a living ancestry dot com. Right? right. Like and collecting the documents and making a an in, teaching your kids to be detectives of themselves is once you die they might keep doing that like they might still keep stay curious about who, who you know who was my my great great right. grandfather whatever so that that was a gift that you got charles was someone mm -hmm. saying i did some of the legwork for you <laughs> right and let me tell you about some of the past coals that we had mm -hmm. that puts you ahead of the game you that that's legwork you didn't have to do now let's imagine that there was a world in which you had a child, <laughs> you know, anyways, you would now, pass that on to them. I know, I know. Now, See, this is why I'm saying it. This is why I'm laughing at it as I'm saying, it. but even still, you would pass that on to the next generation of Coles. Like if you had it, had a boy, you would be able to say like, listen, maybe one day it might day. happen. Yeah. It still yeah. might happen. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. All right. Moving on to the last <laughs> R, you know, just in time to get to the last R too which is results. And interestingly enough, I want to give credit where credit is due. See, this is the thing about being um, uh, um, being stern about people or whatnot, and also not being a jackass. 
I talked to Ian Rowe maybe a year and a half and two two years ago, somebody who I give a hard time on a lot of his philosophies because most of them are whack. But he did, you know, in the conversation that we had about these four R's was what they were at the time, four R's. He said, you know, Chris, I would add a fifth one. And I was like, well, what's the fifth one? And he said, results. You can't have these R's that lead to nothing. These R's have to lead to something. And it was it was a very good piece of advice because we talked about it more than once, actually, a couple of times. And I found it very useful. So see, see, not everything in the world is meant to be uh, um, discord with people. You can walk away. You can catch a gem from somebody. And, and I, I will give credit where credit is due. The results is you are ultimately responsible for your child's results. The most important of all the five R's is parental monitoring of all these systems that serve your child and keeping tabs on the results. Is schooling leading to proficiency in their most important areas of study? Is my child growing socially and emotionally? Are their needs being met? These are the questions that lead you to the fifth R, results. Fellas, this is the last R. What say you about this one? Well, first of all, stop. Let me stop. Ian Rowe, thank you very much for the productive data point that you gave me when this was four R's for adding the fifth R. Appreciate it, brother. Now, let's move on. Uh, uh, what, what do you all say about this one as the, the final of the R's? Get a thumbs yeah, up. I mean, <laughs> Nothing more to say. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, mean I... yeah, go ahead, Reef. Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is the one that that's, uh, I mean, they're all grounded in love. But, you know, when I love someone, I am, you know, I'm interested in their outcome. Not only interested, I'm responsible. I have rituals that set up for it. I am, I understand the rights that are, you know, inherent in that. But if I love someone, that means I am pushing for their outcomes. Then those are the results. Like that's, that's an embodiment of, you know, my love for my child and taking care of them and making sure that they are able to grow and prosper and have opportunities and be their full selves. Like that's the result, you know? And I think, I think a lot of times this is also where there may be variance within the community about the results that people want for their child. I think this adds where the complexities are because everyone doesn't necessarily want the same type of result for their child. They want, I think everybody wants them to be happy. I think everybody wants them to do better. Uh, and there may be some other outcomes, you know, like I, you know, one of the results that I would like for my child is that they be God fearing. Um, that may not necessarily be someone else's, you know, uh, you know, end result that they're pushing for. Uh, you know, so I think this is one that is truly, truly personal. Um, and, you know, there's within communities, it, it can be a, a lot of just, uh, you know, just variance as well as similarities. Mm. So I have some thoughts. Oh, go ahead, Ray. I'll go after you. No, 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 no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I one, I love you, El Michelle. To you, you've been getting a lot of comments uh responded to today. <laughs> I feel like you just said the opposite earlier, right? Around like you just said you don't give middle class parents no slack. Uh, but what I would say is uh one, thank you for responding, El Michelle. I, I I do love your level of engagement. I will say this though, man. I think sometimes people hear us and think that results mean the same thing for everybody. And, and I right before the show, I was across the street. I have a brown neighbor who has a black son and his son is not doing traditional education, but his father has a moving company. And I'll hear them in the morning like he's kind of bickering at his son who's in his early 20s. Like, hey, you got to fill up the cars. You got to have things ready. But like his, his, his results wasn't like he got to go to Harvard or Stanford, but his results are 
You need to be able to run this business that I built for you so you can be able to provide for yourself. Results means that like, yo, how am I preparing my kids to take over when I'm gone? How am I preparing my kids to be able to take care of themselves? And so if that's college for some people, great, right? But like results are very important. What are you doing this for? You know what I mean? Like, don't you want your kids to be able to be independent and be able to live good lives? And I just think that is really important. I think sometimes people try to pigeonhole us as the eight black hands and be like, well, y'all just won't. Ki-. You know, I, we never said that. We never defined what the results need to be for you. But you should have a high standard for what you want to leave to your kids and what you want them to be and how you want them to show up in the world. They are the leaf off of your tree. So that's how I see results. And those results can vary based on family. Like you just not gonna handle results. You're not gonna handle expectations for your babies. But what about the monitoring of the results and the reading the results and understanding yeah. the results? You know, listen, you like, gotta make an attempt. Listen, man, yeah, you have yeah. to make an attempt. Even in my research, when I was writing, when I was doing a dissertation, right? It was, it wasn't that. Uh, what the what the finding was is that the the act of fighting for education, the act of fighting for quality in front of your kids help raise and elevate things. So we don't expect you to be perfect, but you have to show and push because you have to show that that thing is valuable. You have to place that value there. And if they don't see you placing a value there or you got frustrated and you quit because you didn't understand it right off top, then how are you going to be mad at a kid who's like, you know, what, I'm in the 11th grade. I hate this thing and I'm done. I don't want to keep going. I think it's about setting standards. I think it's about making the attempt. Nobody expects you to be perfect but you're not going to monitor your child's like medical test results like you're not a p you don't you don't have you're not a physician but you want to make sure that you know what's going on with your kid right like i'm not saying that you got to be perfect and got to be raymond ankrum who runs the school like no you don't run a school but you get to ask some damn questions what was the goal for this quarter did we reach the goal if yes what's next if not what do we do like, am I, do I, I feel crazy or privileged right now? I'm just trying don't. to. No, you don't. This is where I think, though, a tool could be very useful for many people that don't have one, like a child dashboard mm-hmm. for the parent that isn't living in this every day. Because you do get some, like, listen, I live in a state when you get the results back from schools, they've been made easier over time. Somewhere, somewhere a few years yeah. ago, they were put on, they were put on blast for having too complicated of a, like, communication with parents like you would look at the thing and it didn't make any sense it was a sheet of paper with all size different size fonts there was so much stuff mm-hmm. on one page that you couldn't read anything and now when you get it it looks very much just like a gas gauge it looks like a gas gauge so if you're on red if you're on empty you know something's like what you know you know something's wrong i feel like educators might and and parents might need to work together to figure out what's the simplest of that absolutely Absolutely, of dashboards you could create for parents so that they Absolutely. know when something's red, green, or yellow, and they can ask the questions. This doesn't look like yeah. proficiency. This doesn't look like progress. Right. This doesn't look like going to the ninth grade from the tenth or to the tenth grade from the ninth grade, whatever. They, oh, and we can have one. And Chris, we can be approaching in one semester. I don't want to just keep. A, we are approaching the the the, the benchmark in Bruh. every. Listen, you're going to trigger me because I'm going to say this to both my educator friends here. We got to get out this approaching bullshit. This approaching, (laughs) kind of, sort of, proficient, maybe proficient, whatever. Listen, pregnant or not pregnant. You need to be kind of pregnant. (laughs) pregnant. There's no... Listen, stop. Bro, the approaching pregnancy 
or impregnating somebody, depending on what you're doing. So you know, <laughs> it is a runway. <laughs> there's a lot of opportunities in order for parents to jump in, right? There's a lot of opportunities that that schools give parents in order for you to be engaged in in the progress that your child is making. You just have to ask the right questions, right? And so if I'm if I'm a parent uh, of a K to six uh, student, I'm asking what reading level is my child on, right? And so, you know, is my child on grade level in terms of uh, the books that they're reading? And I'm then asking, well, what does my child like, right? Because you know what your child likes, but your teacher should also know what the child likes as well. And so at the end of the year, if you ask for book recommendations in terms of like, hey, I'm about to take my kids to the library, what kind of just right books do you think are going to be um, available for my child? That parent, uh, that teacher should be sending home a list of books that that kid should be reading over the summer. Right. And then when you go into the library, these libraries should also be aware. These librarians should also be aware of the types of books or whatever that that kid should be reading. But then also kids have to see themselves in these books. So when you go into, you know, these, these libraries, libraries have to be culturally relevant in terms of like, you know, allowing kids of color, allowing black kids to see black artists, black characters in these books. Right. Like it's, it's super important. But I, I think that there's yeah. some questions that parents can ask. Absolutely. I think um, there might be a role for uh, there's a, a group called the Coalition of Schools Educating Boys of Color. I think it's Kosbach. Uh, and then there's a group called the National yeah. Institute of Black Children, run. and then there's the National Institute of Black Educators. There's these, these many different professional groups. I would hope at some point they get together and create like a black book uh, that makes these things radically simple. On first grade, you should black people. You should be thinking about X. Second grade, you should that be thinking be the about next, X. That could be the bro. We, stuff, we, have, you know. we have the ability to make that be the next on code. I mean, I mean our next listen. Iteration. We need we need a black book. We need a black yeah, book of education that makes these things radically simple, grade by grade, and the questions to ask and the things to like the how to decipher the data, like the simplest way possible. How do we advocate for states to make the data more usable and, and user friendly? Uh, someone put it in the, in the chat. Kosbach is uh, C-O-S-E-B-O-C. I think the guy, oh, I forgot his name, Ron, someone yeah. who leads. Bob this Ron, Bob Ron Walker. Yeah. So uh, Ron Walker, that's right. He has a book about his own life. I think at some point um, we need to, as the eight black hands, keep creating um, a library and a deepening, deepening uh, resource center of these things. Like I just said, Ron's book needs to be there. This, this, this resource needs to be there. These other organizations I just mentioned are on code stuff. Um, the black book needs to happen at some point. Absolutely. Right? Like Absolutely. It needs to happen. Um, for our parents. Now, what I'm going to do, because I know we're coming towards the end here, is uh, I, I want us to wrap with each of you, but I, wa I just want to quickly go through the five R's again, and then we can do do a wrap from I got you, Chris. Things that you want to say. Um, so, role number one. The f so there are five R's in our book on code, which you can find on our website, with, which is hbh.org. If you go there, you will be able to find our um, ebook. Um, called On Code. One of the chapters in the ebook is on parents, parents and guardians uh, uh, being on code. We will do the other chapters in future shows. So this is just the first one. There are five R's. The five R's that are in this chapter, the first one is you are the ruthless defender of your child's future. That's your role. Um, the responsibilities by law and by custom, you are responsible for the care of your child. That's R number two. R number three, uh, our, our 
are your rights. You hold the majority of rights associated with your child, especially critical decisions regarding their education. Role number four, which seems to be the favorite role that we have talked about, I'm sorry, R number four, which seems to be the favorite R of the eight black hands tonight that we talked about is rituals. You create the cultural context, context for what your children learn. Uh, and the, the last one, the final one, R number five is results. You're ultimately responsible for your child's results, which means monitoring all of the systems that serve your children to make sure that progress is being made. Those are the five R's in our book on code that you can find on our website. Fellas, let's wrap. So what say you as we wrap? Uh, um, I don't know the order to go in, but why don't we start with you, Dr. Cole? Yeah, uh, yeah. No worries, brother. Uh, and I was uh, here. I, I'm linking in this article that we wrote. Uh, I wrote it with you. Uh, we put an ad post and then Ebony picked it up. The five questions black every black parent should ask their kids uh, school. And just to help you there. I want to start out with what we what we said at first, though. Right. We are talking about parents and responsibility right now. That does not mean that other entities are not responsible for what they are. We are not dismissing what their role is. But in a jungle, <laughs> gazelles have to teach gazelle, hey, listen, man, lions will eat you. Your head needs to be on a swivel, regardless <laughs> of what lions do, regardless <laughs> of what elephants do. Like, here is what your role is. It is not, it is not letting other people off the hook. And I want to be very clear on that, right? You... Many of us, many of you that watch this show, and part of the reason you watch this show is because you are in some type of fight, some type of struggle. And what we are trying to do with this list is equip parents to say, listen, here's a good, here's a good guide that might be able to help you. Like I said, when I talk to parents, I'm talking to parents about what their role is, regardless of what everybody else do. When I'm training teachers, I'm training teachers on what their role is, regardless of what other people do. We have to stop doing that, man. We have to stop. I think this new social media kind of landscape of trying to one up and what's right and what's not right. This is about your kids. This is about your kids. And in, in the real world, everybody has a responsibility uh, around what they need to do. Ignorance will not. People will not. The world will not care that you didn't know. They just won't. And this world will swallow your kids up. Everybody on this on this chat has went to a black funeral that happened too early. Everybody on this chat has seen a child that did not get what they needed and became a man that is now needy. So what we're trying to do is just give the best tools that we can. And this chapter just happened to be on parents. There's a whole nother chapter on students. There's a whole nother chapter on admin, a whole nother chapter on teachers, right? So, but if we as black people are gonna get what we need for our kids and our kids tend to seem continuously to get the worst, it's time for us to get on code, whatever that means. And if you want to be mad, you can be mad at me, but I love you. And this is, we did this out of love. We did it out of love and we did it for free. And if you want to add to it, add to it. But put this on your damn wall, man. Make sure you got it. Read it. Take notes. Fight with us about it. And we'll make some updates. But I'm really grateful for everybody for joining us on Father's Day, on a Sunday. I know there's a lot of stuff you could be doing. So from the bottom of my heart, and I know I speak for the fellas, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Cool. Yeah, no, I, I, no, agreed. I, I mean, I, I appreciate this, uh, you know, this opportunity to collaborate. I think we we talk a lot and, and often people are asking, you know, us to repeat things or things like that. So I think having 
having this space uh, in the on the website on this uh, on code uh, pamphlet, I think was you know just a really good point of collaboration. And yeah, it could have been you know we could have made it ten times longer, uh, but mm -hmm. we wanted to you know at least share and hear our initial. Uh, you know, thoughts and ideas about it. And I'm looking forward to the feedback from the community about it. Um, also want to just shout out, uh, you know, the, the, the parents who, you know, who I've just been surrounded with, um, you know, for both, you know, in my household, as well as beyond the mamas and the babas, uh, you know, at, at the funeral the other day, uh, some of the, some of the brothers I've known who've known me my entire life, uh, you know, said like, hey, don't forget, you know, you still have a lot of uncles, you know, out in the community, man. And that, that just felt so good like that. Again, they still feel responsible, um, you know, for my success. They still feel responsible for my siblings um, and our outcomes, even as adults, you know, for the elders to still feel responsible for you, for the results, man, like nothing steals just fine, you know, like having a village like that. And so, and that's what every child you know, deserves. So, um, you know, thanks again, you know, parents on code, uh, it's integral part of the other, other work, <laughs> integral part of mm -hmm. the work. Bipartisan Ray. What say you brother? Man. So <laughs> love this episode. Uh, this episode brought me joy. Um, of the energy and I love the fact that, you know, we were just a collective unit, unlike when reef hosts, See, this is oh. what I got to jump in and interrupt because you say something slick out the side of your neck and then I got to jump in. What am I supposed to do? You know what I mean? <laughs> but, uh, but no, uh, seriously, you know, in talking about parents, man, it's Father's Day, it's, uh, it's Juneteenth. And um, man, for some folks, this is a real hard day, right? So for me, this is a really hard day because like, although, you know, I try to show up for my kids and be the best father that I can, you know, my, my father's not amongst the living, right? And so, you know, have, having those memories, having those father figures in my life um, to be able to, you know, cherish those moments um, are, 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 are moments that are winding down for, for some people as as, uh, as folks, you know, get older or whatever, right? So, you know, just making sure that you're, making sure that you're, uh, you're loving on the people that you need to love on, right? Um, at all times, because, you know, I know some folks can get caught up in work some folks get caught up in you know whatever it is they're doing but you know my advice is to always make time for the folks that make time for you and be intentional about it that's a great message this has been one of my favorite shows to do because it's it's on something specific that we spent time producing like thinking about and i, I look forward to the future uh conversation that we're going to have we're going to do each of the chapters uh, and I also look forward to the ideas that come out of each of these uh, these shows. Oh, that's a perfect screenshot right there. <laughs> Damn, where is it? Ah, fine. I got it. You got it. <laughs> I got it. Uh, Chris is Chris is frozen right now. Uh, Cointel Pro has uh, usurped him. Uh, I'm giving it. I'm giving a universal sign for stretch. We're gonna stretch so because I want him to get his, his final thought out, man. But I do think that you know this 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 has been a labor of love, and I think that if you haven't read it, I hope that you do because folks have really put in a lot of work uh, to get here, and they wrote it out of love. Like so, Chris's chapter on parents is really just written out of love. As somebody who didn't have all the tools, had to go through it with a 
a, a first child and then, you know, gradually get it where he needed to at the next. He didn't know everything. He still don't. But it was gradual and it was progressive. He was not middle class at the time. He was actually really poor. And what he's saying is like, yo, whether I'm poor or rich, I'm responsible for this for, for these babies. And I'm gonna make sure I get better as I go. So, Chris, that was my attempt to stress for you. Welcome back, brother. <laughs> Yeah, see, Cointel don't want me to be great tonight. As always, you know, real internet, really internet. <laughs> I wasn't really poor, by the way. I was broke, uh, uh, but smart. So, uh, uh, um, so I always had uh, resources. What I was going to try and get to, though, was to say that we need to keep driving uh, towards shared information with each other, uh, resources that we can share with each other. Right now, if you're a parent who listened to all of this tonight and you think it requires resources to do everything that you all talked about, you are right. But I do think that there's some things at your disposal. Uh, you can Google uh, free books, for instance, and you will come up with one article that says 21 uh, best places to get free books. And there's things like Project Gutenberg and archive.org where you can get a lot of like original source documents for one, which are great for educating and teaching your young people uh, and eBooks, uh, the classics, uh, things that you may have been searching for never it's things you won't even find in the library. You can find at Project Gutenberg. If you wanted to do a free open source homeschooling uh, for your, your child, it would be possible in the United States. We live in an information age. The resources aren't always clear where they are. But literally, if you want to do a Harvard level education for free, you could do it uh, online at home. I'm not suggesting that everybody has what it takes to be a homeschooler. I'm just saying as supplementing parents who want to be on code, there's a lot at your disposal that you can you can make things happen. We appreciate you all as, as always. Please help us do a couple of things. Number one, share this show with your friends and family and with others. Number two, share the, the link, uh, 8bh.org. Share that with uh, friends and family. Also, the ebook, get more people to get it and respond to it. But share that with each other. Let's be a sharing economy of people when it comes to information that will free us all together. Communal learning opportunities. Let's keep doing it. We appreciate you all as always. We appreciate the fathers tonight and today who are going to go to a job tomorrow, even on Juneteenth, who are going to go to a job tomorrow that they don't love um, for kids that they do love. That's uh, a damn shame. It don't become a national holiday. Only the white people get to take it off. These Negroes can't take off tomorrow. It's crazy. <laughs> it became a national well, holiday and the white people get it off and the black people got to go to work and so are these white people on Juneteenth new as a federal holiday it's sad. Oh, I wouldn't say they have to I saw, I, saw the, I saw the craziest shit today I saw a white dude say to another white and dude and we were still live by the way continue I will I'm, cool. I'm, 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 so, I'm so good with that because I'm I'm, 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 I'm determining if I want to choose violence tomorrow but I I saw a white dude say to another white dude, happy Juneteenth. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and with that, we will see you for Ray, Sharif, Chris. I am Charles. And we will see you all.